Welcome to Descriptive, a podcast about JavaScript and other things. I'm your host, Khalil, and this is episode 5. We should make this its own thing. Today's guest is Gregor Martinus. He is a full-stack developer at Hoodie, a speaker, maker of Minutes.io and Task.li. Welcome to the show, Gregor. Hey, Colin. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So um, tell me, how did you get started with programming? Wow, okay. Um, I started programming in school at ninth grade. Uh, I started with Turbo Pascal. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, it was like kind of, you know, you could either choose a third language in school, so like something like Spanish or Italian, um, or you could choose programming, which I did. And I really liked it from the beginning. And after the first lesson, you know, I got it set up at home at my father's computer. And before the second lesson, I already made a snake game of it. So from zero to snake in one week, I was wow. a little obsessed, <laughs> I guess. Were you the but only I, one that had it? in that week like was so advanced yeah i think yeah also by the end of the year there was not really like the others didn't really uh you know get oh. into it as much as <laughs> i did um but i really really liked it cool um and after that um like i continued working a lot with it and decided that after um, the 10th grade i would actually um go to another school um which is already more focused um, on IT, which was pretty cool because in 11th grade, um, I had an internship which went for one year and three times, um, you know, three days per week. Uh, I was already working um, on, on web development and that was around like 2000, 2001. And where, where was that? Was that in Germany or? Cause yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm originally from Poland, um, but um, my parents moved to Germany in 1990. Um, so I went here to school and everything. But still, the biggest part of my family is Polish. Um, and yeah, so the internship it was close to Frankfurt at a very small agency. And then I turned 18, and the internship stopped. But the guy wanted to continue working with me, so said, you know, just self-employ yourself. <laughs> so that's how I kind of fell into the whole, like, um, freelance thing and do that ever since. Um, like, all the way during school, I worked as a freelancer for this one guy. And then during studies, I already have been self-employed, um, which was, like, yeah, it was pretty cool because it, you know, I was a pretty good fit with actually the thing that I studied. So in the morning, I kind of learned all the concepts and theory. And then in the afternoons, I applied it already and worked on client work. Yeah. So and it was, was all, a good time. And I'm sure it was all t Turbo Pascal, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, not anymore. Like, I mean, Turbo Pascal was kind of the, the beginning. And then with the internship, I got into... Um, PHP, Flash, HTML, CSS. Mm -hmm. So that was already web development, early 2000. IE6, you know, the only <laughs> browser that you need to worry about because it had like over 90% <laughs> of usage. Like, it, it, like, it was a good time to get started with web development. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay, so that's so so what happened next? So you were just working, you were doing your little your stuff. And uh so for, for how long did you did you do it until you until you then um started to work on on I think what minutes IO was the first app you did or Yeah, I mean minutes IO was the first app I did myself. Mm -hmm. Um but well, before that, um, I worked self-employed for a long time, and I founded a small company with a colleague that I studied with. Uh, so we did consulting work. Mm -hmm. And it was pretty cool because we were surrounded by designers and developers, you know, so we could like already build small teams um, during time um, of oh, the university. Cool. Yeah, and well, I mean, the story before minutes I would have been a few more steps like um okay first i went to africa in 2008 for my master thesis mm -hmm. uh, which back then was on a subject of one letter per child um so we spent three months in ethiopia and also like the year before kind of preparing the whole project mm -hmm. um that was kind of a, my culture shock <laughs> really um I can and imagine. it was just, so where, uh, where, very, very interesting. Where in Africa was that? That was Ethiopia. Okay. Yeah, so we've been in Addis Ababa uh, in the capital, but then also um, moved around the country a little bit and visited schools and kind of tried to figure out if the whole one laptop per child project makes sense in the context of Ethiopia and, you know, wrote our thesis about it. And... After so that, the, the, yeah. the, uh, sorry, this, the thesis was about laptop, uh, one laptop for a child or something like that? Or what was it yeah, about? Okay. Exactly. I mean, it was on the sustainability of the project Okay. Um, from our perspective um, in Ethiopia. And it was interesting because, I mean, we don't know much about education. We don't know much about, you know, um, development. Um, but we had a good understanding of the of the system itself and its capabilities. So for us, it was it was very interesting to go with this IT background and, and jump into this whole new world of development aid and capacity building and education. So that was pretty fascinating for me. So what were the most interesting things you learned? You know, they had these XOs, these green laptops um, that you might have seen. Um, which was very, very, like, it was a great device back then. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, kind of the project um, claimed that, you know, kids would learn by themselves, just driven by their curiosity, if it would provide them with access. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, and that I have seen actually happening. Like, we just gave away our laptops to three kids, um, that were not exposed to any computers at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, after only a few days, they figured out the entire um, computer. Like, one of the kids already hacked it <laughs> a little bit. What? Uh, yeah, it was, it was super fascinating, um, you know. Uh -huh. and what do you mean by hacked it? What does it mean? So, you, like, it's all open, open source, written in Python. Mm -hmm. um, and somehow, like, this kid, I mean, because, you know, they had internet access at school. 
uh, like he Googled it and, and wanted to know how things work and then um, put a new app on it. And that was like only within a few days or maybe a week oh. um, of like never really work with a computer or never owned a computer to like getting into programming a little bit, right? That was very interesting. Wow, cool. Yeah, so did you see, so basically did, did those kids, did, did, did it work how, how, how it was expected? That, did all the, were all the kids interested and, and really learned really quickly or, or were there, um, or was it also difficult for some? You know, like the kids are not the project, uh, not the problem here. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, like the kids get excited if you give them like the shiny laptop. Right. Uh, like what's really, um, what's the biggest challenge is to get the support of the teachers first. And then okay. second, also of the parents, for example. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And that is much, much harder. And from our experience, you know, the way it was done, in um, Ethiopia, it was very top-down. Like it was a capacity building project um, under the Ministry of Capacity Building and not really an education project. So it was kind of like forced in the schools um, to use it. And you know, what, the what teachers does that mean? have what, not... What does ca capacity building mean? Like capacity building means like building streets, you know, building mm -hmm. electricity infrastructure and so on, mm -hmm. building schools. Okay. Um, you know, and it was not really an educational project. Like, they did not really involve the local teachers, the local communities into it. There were other countries that did that better, I think. Um, but in Ethiopia, um, I never heard really about a success story <laughs> uh, beyond some pilot projects. Okay. Yeah. And, but it was also like my thesis and it was super cool. But after that, I, I kind of had other things to do. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. <clears throat> okay, but uh, out, of, out of your experience, this, uh, this Africa hack trip kind of evolved, right? Yeah, that's, you know, that was all by chance. Um, okay. Africa hack trip started in sometime in 2012, so four years later. And the story behind it is that I read an article someday um, on BBC about the emerging tech hubs in East Africa or in the Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. And with this article, there was a map showing the hubs, which were mostly co-working spaces, but also like incubators. And that made me very, very curious mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I was used to work with people from all around the world, you know, before I, I lived in, in Paris, I lived in California, um, I worked for a company there and they had the distributed team. I even worked with people from Iran um, and from Australia and Canada all at the same time. So, and that was in the capacity of you doing freelance work? Um, you know, for the time when in 2008, like after my master's thesis of 2008, 2009, mm -hmm. um, I moved with my wife to California oh. because she had a foreign year. So she, had, she uh, studied at the University of California in Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. 
And that was a nice company um, that I actually then worked for. So I was employed um, oh, okay. for the time, but it never really felt like it. It was still very, <laughs> you know, like free. And also um, after we, we moved, um, I still worked for them remotely. And hmm. it was more like working like a freelancer. It felt more like, you know, being freelancer, but I was still employed um, for about one year. And, you know, then back to Africa Hacktrap and to this article, um, what got me curious is that I never worked with someone from the, like, never really worked with a domestic developer um, from the African continent. Mm -hmm. And then I saw this map and this, you know, it didn't match up, right? Because, like, everywhere where I live, I'm used to having, like, all these coworking spaces. And when I go there, there are also tons of designers, developers. And now there's this map showing all these spaces, but I never heard about any people really coming from there. So I wondered where they are. They mm -hmm. were not visible, like, even after some researching. Mm -hmm. um, and then I tweeted about this article, you know, and, like, making more of a joke, saying, you know, we should go there and see for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And to that tweet, a few friends responded, like saying, okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and more out of a joke, the whole idea started. You know, after a few days, we kind of said, okay, this is the Africa hack trip, which is kind of a cheesy name, but, you know, once it's out there, <laughs> it's out there. Um, and, yeah, then we worked on it for one year. And last year, September to October 2013, we actually made a trip through East Africa and visited four of the capitals and their tech communities, yeah. Wow, that sounds, that sounds really cool. So, so, what, so what were your experiences there? Wow, you only have one hour, right? <laughs> <laughs> the um, most important ones, just like the biggest impressions. Obviously, we only visited the capitals, and even within the capitals, we visited kind of the tech communities. So this is not representative mm -hmm. for the countries that we visited, but that we knew that we were aware of. Um, but still, the people that we've met are, are really, really good. You know, like maybe like in Tanzania, maybe a little bit less. In, in Nairobi, they have a very, very evolved tech community already. Um, they, may, they are maybe not as big, you know, as we know it from whatever, like San Francisco or Berlin or yeah. Melbourne or whatever. Yeah. Um, but they have their own designers, developers that grew out of their own communities and that are pretty good already. Um, and I think that it's just a matter of time um, until they get more like kind of global exposure mm -hmm. and so they become more visible like internationally um, by collaborating on international projects mm -hmm. um, but that was very fascinating to see um, and what, what yeah, do they do are, are those um, students or do they do they work are they employed or do, are they freelancers or are they all kinds of things. All kinds. All kinds of things. Like, for example, in Uganda, in Kampala, we've seen a lot of students because it's just a huge university city. Like, also, like from Rwanda and Kenya, a lot of people, South Sudan, mm -hmm. go to Uganda because they have a good education system. I've heard. 
um, and also at our events there, um, we've met a lot of students. Um, and then on, in Nairobi, there were more people that already have been doing businesses, also in Rwanda, already like companies, um, startups, but also already you know, companies that have been around for a few years. Um, so we've pretty much seen all kind of um, like people with all kind of backgrounds and, and like experiences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And are what kind of projects are they building? Are they just playing playing around, or are they like uh, building websites for local companies or applications? Um. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all mean, of, all of the above. All of these, you know, like they remember the time, like I don't know, maybe five, six, seven years ago. At least for me, they were not these communities that we take as given now. Mm -hmm. you no, know, they were not these meetups. They were not this collaboration and all the benefits that came with it. Mm -hmm. um, they were not the whole open source community, which kind of only became that accessible with with you know github i think mm -hmm. and what i've seen there i feel is like us just only like five years six years ago mm -hmm. and it's only a matter of time i think um until they will start kind of you know doing the same thing as we did and and creating their own tech communities or design communities and exchange and collaborate and so on that is not so much happening right now like there are also differences um but i think yeah there are several reasons i think that um they are not you know as as evolved as as we know it from 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 our cities for example in germany mm -hmm. And one being just the time, you know, like it's only three years, four years ago when when all the under undersea cable kind of arrived and they, um, you know, got all the fast internet, especially the countries with with access to to the to the sea. Mm -hmm. um, and then like all these startup, uh, all these um, hubs popped out. Um, so you you started to get these physical places where you could actually go. And then it again takes, I guess, a few years until actually a community evolves or multiple communities evolve around this physical place that mm -hmm. now identify as one to the outside. Mm -hmm. But it's a good time to visit these places. <laughs> yeah, sounds definitely really interesting. So, so are you doing that on a regular basis, like once a year or something like that? Um, no, uh, we don't know yet. Um, I mean, the whole Africa hack trip was, you know, like a privately funded trip. Mm -hmm. There was no really a company organization behind it. It was really just driven by curiosity and there were no kind of outside um, organization involved or any like, there were no any, any goal or something. Mm -hmm. um, what we do right now is to finish the movie you know we we have like 30 to 40 hours of video material and okay. we want to make a 20 to 30 minutes movie out of it that we can then share 
to kind of share our experiences with the wider community and you know create more awareness of what is happening there and probably get more people interested and, and visiting. Wow, it's, I, I definitely want to see that movie. So it sounds really <laughs> interesting. <laughs> really, yeah, and really maybe once maybe once we have you know the movie finished, um, we will think about doing another trip. Mm -hmm. I will let you know. Cool. Okay, so you came back from Africa, and, and what did you do? So well, back from Africa, I was already involved in, in Hoodie. So kind of Hoodie is my, okay. my, my main project um, and has already been before. Um, and it actually was, you know, like through Hoodie, I got all the interest into offline capable applications. And with that, you know, I've seen a lot of opportunity for that as well mm -hmm. um, in the countries that, that we visited. Mm -hmm. So that was also very interesting. And for example, we also um, in, in Rwanda, um, there is a company called Hehe Limited, um, which, you know, like they do consulting work for government, but also for the public sector and do like mobile apps and websites and so on. But they also have a project code, um, code clubs. So they go to schools and kind of start like afternoon code clubs where, where students can uh, learn to code. Mm -hmm. And their curriculum is like HTML, CSS, JavaScript. So the students can build their own websites after like the three months, I think, um, cool. of the afternoon um, code clubs. And Clarice from Here Limited, she really liked Hoodie because you know, of the curriculum, because the kids already know CSS, HTML, and JavaScript, mm -hmm. it's all it takes to build the full-stack applications with Hoodie as its backend. Yeah. So now we're kind of collaborating on integrating it into their curriculum. Wow. And yeah, I hope we, 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 you know, make it real <laughs> mm -hmm. in, in the next year. Uh, would, like, it's just a very nice collaboration. And this is one of the things, you know, we hope to happen with the Africa hack trip that you kind of start to collaborate on, on open source, but also business projects. Mm. So that's very exciting. Cool. Okay, well, but let's go back a little bit and to the point where this whole hoodie th thing started. Can you, can you just um, kind of tell the story a little bit? Yeah, we're jumping in time. <laughs> I know we're jumping back and forth, but hey. That's how it is. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so, after um, okay, so after California, we moved to Paris because my wife studied in France. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I kind of could work from everywhere as a freelance developer. Yeah, and I still do, and I love it. Um, and after working for. Um, the American company, they were called ELC Technologies, like a Rails uh, consulting company. Mm -hmm. um, I joined York, and York is a Berlin and Hamburg based company that do a time tracking app called Might. Mm -hmm. ah, mm -hmm. um, 
which is around now, I think, for five years, and it's quite well known, I think, in, in the German-speaking you know, countries, yeah. especially. And I joined them as a partner. Mm -hmm. So for I've been with them for around one year. Um, but then we realize, you know, it's kind of, it's not really growing. So we hoped, you know, we would start maybe a second application or something, but as a partner, kind of, there was no real responsibility f that I could take over. Mm -hmm. So we kind of split again, but we are still friends. So it's all good. Mm -hmm. And after that, I wanted to play, you know, with the, with the new fancy tech stuff around and back then like three years ago there was local storage and app cache and backbone like backbone 0 0.3 or something mm -hmm. and for that i built an application to track results of meetings and why did then, you do that um the reason is i created the exact same application already in 2003 um okay just for myself, because, you know, I had meetings with clients, so I wanted to track results of it. Mm -hmm. And then I rewrote this application several times, like in the beginning with PHP and uh, like XML file and then with MySQL and then later with Ruby and Rails. And then with JavaScript and Node.js and then eventually, you know, with CouchDB um, and JavaScript and this whole offline thing. So I kind of, you know, because the concept is already clear and I don't need to think about it, I can focus on actually the technologies that I learn. Mm -hmm. So I have a good comparison to the stuff that I did before. So that's why I, I built this application. Interesting. Okay. <clears throat> and what happened then is that kind of the uh, Julia and Sebastian from York. They wrote a blog post, you know, about me leaving and wishing me the best. And they also mentioned um, the this, this Minutes application. So mm -hmm. I already had the domain Minutes.io and they mentioned it. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of exploded a little bit. <laughs> so it was really <laughs> funny. Like, um, I think the first person blogging about it was something called Beta Museum. Okay. And from that, like some other... Um, blogs picked it up and then over the weekend I had like 30 reviews in 10 languages wow. and that people went like crazy about it so there was I mean you know if, if one bigger magazine picks it up they all like copy each other I guess yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know all of a sudden I had all this interest and all these users so then I kind of continued working uh, on Minutes.io okay um, but I never really made money with it back then, not even now. <laughs> so I kept working as a freelancer. Um, and the, like the story on, on how we started hoodie is that I went to the couch to be conference back then that was organized by Couchbase still. Um, so first in San Francisco. Um, I think that was 2011, and then later in Berlin. And the Berlin one was organized by Jan Leonard. Mm -hmm. um, and I showed him the setup that I have with Minutes. Like, especially, you know, the every user has his own database, and 
sharing with replications and how it works offline and everything. Yeah, so you you already had it implemented with Couch. Exactly. A and you also had it, was it already offline offline first or offline capable? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it was offline capable from the beginning. Like that was the whole point for me, you know, to get mm -hmm. to know this technology. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and Jan really liked the setup and asked me to talk at the CouchDB meetup, which I did. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, he said we should make this its own thing, like this whole underlying architecture. And this is how Hoodie started. And I think whew, it's like over like over two years ago, maybe. Okay. Um, like back then it wasn't called Hoodie, we called it Kang. <laughs> like C-A-N-G, you know, we, we chose the most dubious name uh, <laughs> just to not get blocked by the name itself. Okay. And it's kind of also at the same time making sure that we will definitely change the name. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, like in the beginnings it was only meeting every few weeks uh, in Berlin and hacking a little bit on it and just seeing if it works. Mm -hmm. But that was the beginning of Hoodie, yeah. Okay, so it was just you two in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. In the beginning it was just Jan and me. And then pretty fast, Alex. Uh, Alex mm -hmm. joined. How did um, he come into the picture? So we were in Berlin at Coop, like my favorite coding space in Berlin. Mm -hmm. They're very nice. And Alex also used to work there. And, you know, he was friends with Jan. Mm -hmm. And also he is a very good user experience designer and developer. Okay. So he kind of is the ultimate target group for Hoodie. Mm -hmm. So we you know, wanted to have his point of view and what he thinks about it, if it all makes sense. And he really liked Hoodie. Um, so that was a good you know, kind of feedback to get <laughs> from a designer. Um, and he also just, I don't know how, like Jan is just good at you know, getting people involved in the projects. <laughs> So that's a whole yarn magic, and all of okay. a sudden, Alex, you know, he made the website, and then he made the hoodie logo, mm -hmm. um, and you know, like just started already working on it. So then we have been free. And okay, and just yeah. just for you know, people who are listening that don't know what hoodie is, what is hoodie? <laughs> <laughs> um, so hoodie is a generic web server um, that takes away all the pain of the backend. So it allows you to build kind of full stack applications, but with only front end code. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the server part of Hoodie, you can interact with, for example, JavaScript methods. So instead, you know, having a REST API and sending AJAX calls and handling it, you have simple JavaScript methods like sign up or sign in or store data, you know, find all and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Like just the generic stuff that we keep rebuilding every time. Um, and Hoodie just gives that for free. Yeah. And it's, that's, that's, pre that's pretty amazing. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> no, and then. <laughs> and, and it's offline first, right? Yeah. You know, the whole thing about offline first is, Again, it was more by accident. 
You know, like mm -hmm. it was offline first because Manhattan.io was offline first. Mm -hmm. And also because it's a generic requirement. Mm -hmm. right? It's not unique to an application. Um, and because when you, when you move the API of the backend to the frontend, you can add all kinds of crazy logic like caching mm -hmm. and also making the whole data available offline. If you, if you see the API of Huri, you can't really tell that the data is stored offline and then you know, have a separate um, process that is syncing the data in the background. Um, and also you shouldn't tell, like, this is a lot of complexity that we just hide away from you. Mm -hmm. It just does that for you. Like, it just works offline and you don't have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, uh, yeah, every time I think about it, it just makes, um, makes so much sense. I, I think, I think especially the, the offline, I think the offline, even though this is just like by chance that it's offline first, I think the offline first capability is extremely um important because it just makes it ubiquitous and it's just it's just there and this is exactly how um apps should be you know like any app should be available without internet and with the internet and sh you should be able to interact with it either way and it and this is just something that's because i think it's because it's not it's not really easy to do it i think this is um forgotten a lot exactly <laughs> yeah. i think it was just a you know the time was ripe for it yeah the time and is definitely definitely right uh, you know with, with just like us using mobile devices more and more and being on the road um, you just realize it more and more often um, how bad the experience is on a bad internet connection or not connection at all and i guess the or i think that the Development is similar to the whole mobile first design philosophy. Um, you know, at, at some point, we started to expect from applications and website to work well on our mobile phones. And if they don't, it's like, you know, what the fuck? Um, how can they not just put the extra effort like everyone else is doing it as well? And we kind of hope that this is going to happen for offline as well. Like it will just be the basic assumption that if you use, um, you know, some a web application, it will just work offline because at least technically there is no reason not to today. Yeah, I think I think that's the way and how it has to go, especially if we if we want the web to be a viable platform for for applications. Uh, there's just no other way around. I think it's going to it's going to become more easy with the service worker that is now being implemented in the browsers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. that's great. We are big fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, no, but you know, even that, even today, like after three years, people um, like Minutes.io users, they ask me if I have an app, mm -hmm. um, and you know, they ask to have a native app. They want to install it because they want to use it offline. And if I, you know, when I tell them like, look, you can even open Minutes.io without an internet connection, they're all super surprised. They just don't <laughs> expect that, Yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so kind of that's the assumption that we should change. 
because Definitely. usually the number one reason for people wanting apps is only because they want you know to use the apps offline mm -hmm. and i think that we can fix yeah definitely okay so 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 you then you were three uh, but but now you're like how many are you today you're five or four or six so um it depends <laughs> <laughs> How, uh, how, how, how you look at it okay. um, so I would say in the core like of the people that work right now quite a lot on it we are eight um, but meanwhile we also founded a company for it the neighborhoodies um, which was kind of our way to show like commitment that we you know we, this is not just like a fun project. This is something that is meant to stay for us. And also as a vehicle to figure out how to finance the project in the long term. Um, and to make it kind of independent also from us as individuals. Um, and in this company, there were five founders. And we have one employee. So that's six. And then, like in the core circle, you know, we have um, like two, three more people that kind of work a lot on hoodie right now. And then we have an outer circle, like I don't know, like it's all the hoodie community for me, um, you know, which I'm like maybe twenty people. Um, so yeah, it's still kind of small, um, but growing. So it's it's nice to see. Okay. So you have 20 people that that regularly contribute code? Not only code, you know, mm -hmm. like also maybe events, you know, just now we had a bar camp um, in Salzburg where Stefan, uh, like a student who just did an internship um, at Hoodie, mm -hmm. um, is studying. And then Lena, like our CEO, um, went with Jan Eric who is, you know, just kind of a friend of like a hoodie community member. And he just went there and, and gave a workshop on hoodie, for example. Cool. And then we also have, um, I think her name is Julia. I'm sorry, I hope I got it right. Mm -hmm. She helps with the weekly um, notes, you know, like the, thank God it's Friday summary, like the link list. Ah, cool. So that's Lena and, and Julia. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, as a tech project, we also have just like tech contributors. Mm -hmm. uh, but we also have um, Dennis, um, who contributed a lot on documentation. And, you know, it's everything. It's equally valuable for us. So, yeah, we're happy for, for any kind of contribution. Cool. Okay, so um, yeah, so so last year I think you were, or not last year, actually this year, you were all traveling around a lot and speaking about hoodie a lot on different events, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there were like three main subjects um, that we, you know, we we blocked about and that we get also invited to conference and talk about. Mm -hmm. And right now the three subjects are no backend, 
um, which is uh, the idea to you know, build apps without thinking about the backend. Mm -hmm. So kind of with Hoodie, you have the illusion you know, that you can build applications that have user authentication and data persistence and sync without ever touching a backend. Yeah. Um, so that's one subject. And the other subject is offline first, as we discussed right now. Yeah. Um, and the third subject, which is very important to us, is the whole culture um, and diversity subject. Right. Okay. So, so tell tell um, tell me a little bit about that. Um, so, I mean, that's a big project. Uh, that's a big subject. <laughs> yes, um, it is. The thing is, you know, it kind of closes also a circle a little bit to to the Africa hack trip, to one observation. Um, you know, when we went there, I had kind of the naive expectation, okay, they have the co-working spaces, I guess they have computers, they have fast internet, so now they have everything that I have. Mm -hmm. um, access to all the information that I earn my money with, right? Because right. what I learned in school, university, is not what I'm making my money with. Um, it is all the stuff that is available for free in the internet, really. But the truth is that, you know, we take it as given that we have all these this time that we can invest into working on open source, into you know, reading up all the stuff that is interesting for us, kind of in investing into ourselves, while many people do not have this privilege. You know, in, in what I've seen a lot in the, you know, countries, uh, the cities that we visited, the people that we met there, um, also many students, uh, when they finish studying, it's, it's oftentimes payday. Now, there is oftentimes a lot of family members that invested that invested in one person so that he or she can have the education. Mm -hmm. And once that's done, there is a very high expectation of, you know, this person getting a job right away and making money and then supporting the family, for example. There is no, you know, there's not a lot of, a lot of room for free time to kind of just hang out with friends and right. like in the evenings, you know, to like work on projects that you're interested in. Mm -hmm. um, and so for us, the whole diversity subject is to have, you know, more people represented on the building side of the project, um, which is currently not really the case. Not even, you know, although we care so much about it, we are still like mostly white guys and mm -hmm. few women, um, which we hope we can change at some point. Um, but it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So how do, how is that being being received? If when you talk about diversity in the different places, well, it's 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 different, um, and also like there were both very good and very bad experiences. 
like the most talks um, were given by Lena. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and some of these experiences after the talk and the questions and people addressing her have been very negative. Really? Okay. Um, you know, like, yeah, like have no understanding for it really. And like all the typical discussions. Um, and at some point, you know, I guess it becomes very, very tiring to answer all the same questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of, you know, like stupid quotes like oh you know you're just working for hoodie because because uh jan is such a feminist which is total bullshit (laughs) um obviously but you know just just hearing quotes like that is is just yeah it's infuriating (laughs) (laughs) exactly i mean on the other side there's a lot of support and i hope you know i mean it feels like the awareness is growing but, you know, a lot of shit is happening, is going on right now uh, in our industry. And it really sucks. But at the same time, I hope and I think it's a, it's a great opportunity that we have as a community and an industry to set an example. Yeah. To, to make it better. Because, you know, kinda, I, I think we are always kind of living in the future a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Eskas industry, uh, we are more agile, we can adapt faster to, to developments and on how we do businesses and how we treat our employees and employers and so on. Um, and I think if we can figure this out, um, probably other will follow our example. So, right. Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's, I think it's, it's great that, that you're doing that <laughs> for sure. But and yeah, I, and and I guess it's it's always going to be um, well, not maybe not always, but for I, I guess for some time, it's always going to be difficult to talk about diversity and. Uh, <laughs> because, no, it's, all, because, it's also hard, I think, to talk like I mean, you and me, like you know, we are not really i mean it's it's good that we are aware of it it's good that that we are careful and and that we are listening and you know just 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 keeping our eyes open of what's happening um but it's not on us you know to kind of say what's what's right to do right now i think there is what i see a lot of happening and and what we can only support is that uh, a lot of people that are affected in a negative way uh, by being a minority, um, are speaking out and giving examples of what they experience. Mm-hmm. And we should listen very, very carefully to this. Um, and, you yeah. know, kind of making our, uh, like, just, just learning right now is actually what I try to do at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely more people should do that. I mean, uh, uh, all I wanted to say is that I think it's definitely uh, brave because because speaking about the subject today still is just creating a lot of rage for some people apparently, and that can uh, that can become kind of uh, uncomfortable. Uh, it it ranges from uncomfortable to uh, dangerous. Exactly. And so, so definitely, uh, you know, kudos to you too. To but you know, there is a positive to, to this as well. 
Um, yeah. I mean, if there is one thing to say, right, that there's one thing to have a code of conduct, mm -hmm. and there's another thing to actually live this culture. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are doing quite a good job. Um, and it's a lot of investment, and it's very, very tiring, especially for Ola and Lena mm -hmm. um, in our team. But at the same time, you know, we get a lot of very positive feedback. You also get a lot of, you know, people that are coming from other communities or like made bad experiences, you know, and just kind of saying that they love what we are doing and that we are speaking out and they would love to support our project. Mm -hmm. um, so in a sense, this is also a big opportunity um, because there is much more, you know, than the typical stereotype of open source uh, contributor. There are so many more people that have much more to say and much more to contribute than the typical stuff that come to our mind when we're thinking about technology. And we should not, you know, just kind of ignore that. Yeah. For it's very true. Yeah, I think that's it's really awesome that you that you guys are supporting that. I really I really love that. It's cool. Um, okay, so so back to the to the hoodie project. So it it kind of seems like um, there's um, less hoodie news and stuff, and like uh, you know you guys roaming around in the world. It's more like it seems like you're heads down working on something. So uh, what is the current what is the current status status of of the hoodie project? Um, so two things keep us very busy that are not visible from the outside right now. Mm -hmm. One thing is the website, um, which is, just became this huge project with documentation and, and all these kind of smaller sub-projects. And, you know, it's been worked on since months. And now we are at a point that we really, really have to ship it because we are kind of losing our motivation for it. Okay. You know, like when something, you just work on it too long, yeah. it's kind of just becomes tiring. And this is something that I think is, is dangerous in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we, we really have to try to, you know, like keep the fun in the project mm -hmm. because it's, it's a volunteer project after all, mostly. Yeah. So, but I hope that we get this out of the door pretty soon, within the coming weeks probably, but we, you know, we don't commit to any dates anymore because it just puts so much pressure on the team and we are not in a position, you know, to just pay like us uh, full time. So we still have to do our stuff. And yeah, and then there is a project which we kind of just fell into. Um, which I can't give a lot of details about because it's not public yet, um, but it's pretty interesting. Um, like it's an NGO that has headquarters in the US and Nigeria, mm -hmm. and they're working right now on tracking Ebola cases. Okay. Um, you know, they started in Nigeria um, and they're, they come from polio, so, you know, they have a system that tracked polio um, cases and also tracked the infrastructure and the logistics um, for the 
um, how do you say, vaccination. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, backed by um, the Gates Foundation, I think. And now the, there was the Ebola um, outbreak. Mm -hmm. And they were asked to use the same system to track Ebola cases. Okay. And that was pretty successful in Nigeria. So they were asked to do the same in, you know, Sierra Leone, Liberia, and Guinea, um, which are the most affected countries. And all of a sudden, you know, they had this huge, huge scope, but only a small team. Um, but, you know, sufficient funding. And that was kind of the time when we ran into them. And because they, they also work in Berlin or have like kind of one headquarter now there to get more developers. Mm -hmm. um, so we just run into them because a friend told me that they are there and that they are working with Couch2B and, you know, they need offline apps because they walk around in these rural areas and track these cases. Hmm. <laughs> um, cool. So it's, it's exactly our subject, right? So All we right. have a lot of expertise in this field. Right. Um, it's not really a hoodie project, but obviously... Um, this is another level of priority right now. And if we can help, um, you know, with the, with the Ebola outbreak, even if it's just kind of uh, a very small contribution, um, we can obviously do our best to do it right now. Hmm. So that blocked a lot of our resources in the past weeks. But, okay. wow. you know, I think it's a, <laughs> it's a good reason. Yeah, for sure. It's very interesting what kind of... Uh, projects you end up doing then you know with this uh with yeah. your kind of with with the kind of f kind of um setup that you have and the kind of uh values and the you know in mind that you stumble in projects like that where you can contribute to to, to things like that is very it's very interesting um Okay, so um, I also have a question about the um, documentation because when we had we had um, you guys come to Karlsruhe JS and talk about hoodie and you know you, you gave those talks about hoodie and it was it was great and people loved it and stuff, but I still even you know after you gave the talks, I realized when I was talking to people at um, meetups later on that they still, some of them still didn't understand <laughs> that, for instance, uh, one guy told me that he didn't understand that hoodie was actually not a, 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 um, a SaaS product, you know? Okay, um, yeah. I think this is typical, you know, you, it's kind of a new market. If you want so, it, yeah, and when I think you so, have yeah. a product for a new market, you have to educate first. I think it's totally it's it's completely new, like because because it's really it's like, and it's also it, it kind of is like too good to be true. I think for <laughs> for a lot of developers, you know, especially like the front end front end developer type that is interested in building apps, to to have to just you know do some. NPM installs and whatever, and then have like a full stack thing there that he can use or, or she can use with users and data persistence. And, and, all, and all they have to do is, is just use JavaScript to use it. Um, it's very difficult to understand because I don't think there was anything like, you know, anything like that existed before. So 
how do you how do you did you find you know like new ways to communicate it when you were thinking about the new website what is the biggest kind of misconceptions that you have to to deal with and how did you how you attempt to solve it that's a very good question i think it will it will take some more time to actually get the perfect pitch <laughs> mm -hmm. to explain hoodie um, to people i think it's more You know, I think that more and more similar probably projects, um, services and products will come on the market and that it will help, you know, to get a better understanding of what it is. Mm -hmm. um, like, what's new for me is that I now explain it as a web server. Mm -hmm. like <laughs> I say, like, it's like Apache, but it not only kind of serves your website, it also gives you a database you know, and like right. a, like a backend for free as well. So it's like a, like a level up of, of just a simple web server. Mm -hmm. um, and then if people know things like parse or, or um, what are the others called? I forgot it. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's parse and then there is, uh, there's Kinvey. Firebase. Yeah. Isn't that one? But that's, yeah. Firebase uh, is, Data. It's more like a database. Yeah, you know, yeah. but these are really services. There's also backendless. Um, I listed some of these on nobackend.org. Okay. Um, so, but you know, these are so-called backend as a services. So that's right. more like similar to a SaaS, right? Mm -hmm. You kind of pay for the usage, but you do not control uh, the server itself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and but but are but they're kind the of like uh, yeah. uh, uh, they're they're like um, hold on I'm confused now SaaS what what does it stand for again software as a service software as a service that's right okay so like parse and all they they have a, they're centralized right exactly and, like and that's and, closed yeah yeah it's closed and and Hoodie is so far is the only backend as a service. That is uh, decentralized and open. Is that true? Um, I wouldn't say. Well, uh, I mean, there are other similar projects. There's, for example, remote storage, mm -hmm. um, which is similar to, to Hoodie, um, but it's um, only for data. Um, but it's even, you know, has a um, bigger focus on, on the decentralization. So it's simpler to offer um, remote storage hosting and kind of the goal for remote storage is even that every user has their own storage. So you just load the app and then the app connects to your own storage that you um, control, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think Hoodie is the only full stack open source solution for that, that not only provides your backend for data and sync and authentication, but also for background tasks. Um, so, you know, that you can also do stuff like receive, receive payments, um, like integration with other applications and services, mm -hmm. uh, send emails, stuff like that. Uh, you can yeah. pretty easily add that functionality with, with plugins. Yeah. And yeah, so I think, you know, the extendability is a big benefit from Woody in comparison to closed systems, obviously. Yeah. So are you are you going to have? <clears throat> I think um, when I was thinking about how to communicate it uh, better, the 
I think the, the uh, best improve or best way that you could you know like show what it really is i always thought is uh, you know doing screencasts or something like that are you are you going to have screencasts on the on the new site yeah we are going to have screencasts i think they will not be all ready with the launch date okay but there also yeah, there, there was a woman that you know she does very very cool screencasts i think she's coming from python okay um and she just likes hoodie uh, the mm -hmm. project and and probably she can she will make some uh screencasts for us but also alex likes doing screencasts so once the new website is out you know we can kind of improve the different corners of it and one thing will be to make like um high level screencasts yeah cool yeah absolutely i definitely think that's uh, that's going to help a lot for people you know because i think when you have when you when you when you go to the hoodie site and then you have like a five minute video that just gives you the gist i think that would be a great way to just <laughs> get into it you know yeah. and then to get interested and to understand the premise you know something like that you know there was a nice quote from today from from Kalon, um who goes to the frontiers conference mm -hmm. and he will give a talk on offline applications. Cool. And he said, you know, he wanted to do some live coding, mm -hmm. but he installed Hoodie, so created a new Hoodie app, which was one comment, and a second comment was to install the app cache plugin, and then he was done. <laughs> you know, so kind of his problem was there is no live coding because it's so <laughs> like it's already there. You have an entire kind of app, the entire backend, and it works offline, both the data and the app yeah. assets out of the box. You know, so there is a lot of potential, but the thing is, um, you know, we don't want to create a big hype yet because it's not, I think it's not ready for, you know, the really big audience. Okay. Um, it's not easy enough yet. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of rather try to attract the more developer kind of contributors more than node uh, community mm -hmm. and for them hoodie is not really solving a problem right mm -hmm. for them it's like okay whether i have javascript methods or ajax calls it doesn't really matter for me because mm -hmm. they're more the backend people yeah um but once you know it's simple enough once we have a lot of hosters and you can just go to website and click one button and your hoodie backend it's just done and you can, you know, just like Google Analytics, really. You just get a script tag and copy it and put mm -hmm. it in your web app and it's all done. Then, you know, it's simple enough. So like everyone with like basic JavaScript experience, like everyone who understands jQuery really should be capable to use Hoodie to build applications. And that would be the time when we really, you know, will go out there and and make a lot of noise. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that would be hoodie one oh, but okay. it's still it's still some time to go. Okay. Okay. So so what do you think? What 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 kind of time span are we talking about? Is it like a year? I mean I'm not asking for a date or anything. Just <laughs> just like approximately what No, I mean probably spring next year. Oh yeah, okay. So not too far, but mm -hmm. um you know, we want to make it right. And you also want to make it in a way that it doesn't burn out all of us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of a 
tough thing because we you know have to find a way to to find enough resources um to to make it happen and we do not take any outside funding um to not give away control mm -hmm. so we kind of have to bootstrap it and that's a very interesting problem you know like open source and funding is always a very interesting project and Mm -hmm. That's the next subject that we will talk about, I think. <laughs> like as a as a hoodie team, you know. Like okay. I, I could imagine. I at least am very interested in that and so are the others. So I think there is some yeah, there is something that like another subject that I think our community is ripe for. Like, you know, bringing it to another level mm -hmm. and going away from open source must be everything must be for free and no one should get paid because it's just fun yeah. and i think we should grow beyond that like it should always stay this way but there should also be place you know for organizations you know that um just need funding to grow it bigger mm -hmm. and to get more people involved they just cannot afford um to work on open source or just decide not to because they have our interests. Yeah, so that's another topic we can discuss next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to, for sure. Uh, and there's another question. Um, when, when I was, because at some point I read, I think Jan wrote somewhere that Hoodie is kind of like the rails, you know, of JavaScript or for the front end people or something like that mm -hmm. and when i thought about it i i thought that it's not completely true or it's it maybe not a very good analogy because it doesn't really it gives you what it what it does it gives you you know the persistence and it makes that easy and gives you the users and stuff but Apart from that, it doesn't give you any project structure, right? When you want to start now, mm. build your JavaScript app, there is no scaffolding or anything like that. There's no you, you don't endorse a specific JavaScript framework that works really well with um, uh, with Hoodie, or you have you you also don't have like a you know like a mini um, uh, reference implementation with a specific framework that gives you like a project structure for your JavaScript files and all this kind of stuff. Exactly. So when I was, so I was wondering, did you, did you guys ever think about, uh, you know, um, endorsing something or to include something or saying, you know, this works really well with, with hoodie or are you always, did you never think about that and you're always just going to keep it open Uh, do you have? Did you have any thoughts on, on that end? Um, you know, hoodie hoodie starts well. All these front end MVC, MVVM frameworks and libraries stop, mm -hmm. right? It's it's not a replacement for uh, you know something like Ember or Angular or Backbone. No, but it would work um, well together. That's exactly. that, that's the whole point. Exactly. Yeah. And this is crucial, obviously, for the Hoodie project. Mm -hmm. um, what we will definitely invest into, you know, or try probably the community um, to get involved with is to create all the adapters mm -hmm. um, for like all the frameworks of this kind out there. Mm -hmm. So anyone with 
you know, that using Ember, for example, can just keep using Ember code and all of a sudden the app will work offline because instead of sending some AJAX request to a Rails backend, it will use Hoodie and everything is, uh, you know, cached locally and synchronized. So they won't even see that Hoodie is used as a backend. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely, no, that's absolutely critical. Like, it's just not something that we have, in, you know, invested a lot in yet, but... Yeah, I mean, we that's will... a whole other project. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's also a great thing, you know, kind of to, to give an entry point for people that want to get involved in the project. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if someone likes Ember or Angular a lot, like, I probably this is a good place to get involved in the Hoodie community by creating... Um, the adapters by creating example applications, tutorials, screencasts, and whatnot. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it also, of course, now uh, when you talk about it, it makes a lot of sense that Hoodie is just going to be uh, 100%, uh, what's the word? <laughs> I'm blanking out on the word, but basically uh, Hoodie doesn't care what yeah. hoodie shouldn't care what kind of frame should any framework should work all it does it just gives you that javascript api and 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 those uh, frameworks they should have those adapters to hook into Ex that and that's it mm -hmm. yeah hoodie is you know just a replacement for backends it's probably right. the most front-end friendly backend yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that you will find out there like that's at least you know something that we we try to achieve to be very 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 friendly um, for front end developers. Yeah, and you've been working with promises right off, uh, right from from the start, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you know we started with jQuery promises, um, and now we actually work with uh, native promises. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I just changed it recently. We still expose you know kind of the jQuery Sugar API, mm -hmm. just because we expect you know a lot of people like that are used to jQuery to use Hoodie as well. Um, but you know, like the they are all fanable and they all return the native um, promise right now. And yeah, the reason is because it really allows you to create very readable, simple to understand code. Yeah. And, you know, it allows you to write very, very powerful asynchronous code in only a few lines of, co uh, of, of code, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, but if you work with native promises, which browsers can you use then? Yeah, well, you have a polyfill for browsers oh, that okay. do not support it. So oh, that's, that's yeah, not hard. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, can, you, can you use like the IE8? Does that work? Probably, but we don't care, really. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I know. Uh, who cares? That's right. Yeah. I don't, like, it's probably working, um, but we are not testing actively in IE8. Mm -hmm. um, and there were also some other issues with it. Um, and then, you know, now, right now we use local storage, so IE8 supports that. Mm -hmm. um, but we will, like, Kind of right now, we are moving to PouchDB. Um, okay. Is that going to be um, in Hoodie 1.0 as well? Yeah, I mean, that's the main reason why it takes so long. Okay. Because we didn't want, you know, to go out with Hoodie 1.0 and then have this kind of crazy migration for all the apps out there. 
-hmm. that need to run migrations locally in every browser, you know, that takes the data from local storage and writes them to PouchDB. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, I had some local migrations in Minutes.io. It's, pretty, it's a pretty tough problem. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why we definitely want to launch with PouchDB already built in. And we love the PouchDB people. Like, that's a great project, great people behind it. And Cool. So just for people who don't know what it is, so PouchDB, basically, uh, it mimics the CouchDB API, but in the front end. and, and in, in the uh, browser, yeah. In the browser, I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are also like other libraries like TouchDB, I think, which is for Android and iOS. And they even more projects, you know, they kind of all mimic the, the, especially the replication API of CouchDB, which is very, very powerful when you need offline, when you need sync. <laughs> and okay. you do not want to do sync yourself, you know, no. like it's super hard. I mean, I did it with this whole, like right now, it's kind of a self-cooked <laughs> um, sync mechanism that's also mimicking, you know, CouchDB's uh, replication API. But there are so many edge cases. It's very, very hard. And I'm very happy to give this away to the best engineers from PouchDB. Mm -hmm. you know? And then if we run into sync problems, we can rather contribute to PouchDB and help them get it fixed instead of doing our own thing. That doesn't make any sense because it's not really something we care about. We care more about the higher level APIs and the community as such. Okay, so so that is a big, big part that PouchDB basically brings into a, a more robust kind of sync to the CouchDB database. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Cool. And, I mean, and if you and, look at the and project, a whole team that works on it, right? Yeah, yeah, and they're very dedicated and very supportive, and also very friendly. You know, like mm -hmm. if you ask a question, they are not like read the fucking manual <laughs> kind of answers. Yeah. You know, which I can understand, you know, where this is all coming from. But yeah. I see a lot of value to show patience and to be friendly to people that are just getting started and to set the right tone. Mm -hmm. um, that's something we care a lot about. And I think, you know, for that, we kind of are on the same page with the PouchDB um, people. It's very, very nice. It's a very good fit, not only technically, but also like culture wise. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Cool. So, um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to uh, the website and uh, the 1.0 release of Hoodie. So, um, and I hope that I, I can have, you know, uh, some, some, some team members on the podcast for the, for the <laughs> launch. That would be great. Yeah, we should come visit you in Stuttgart and then have just like a special episode on Hoodie yeah, 1.0. That would definitely. be fun. That'd be awesome. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. Well, that's uh, that's it for for the questions. Um, I would like to move into the the picks section now because I'm think I think we're also slightly over time. Um, and you 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 have some picks, right? Um, uh, right. The picks. <laughs> yeah. Um. There is, there is definitely one that I thought about yesterday. Um, it's a crowdfunding campaign um, for the roof. And the roof is the roof of a building 
where the office is and the office <laughs> yeah, it's just funny names but uh, the office is like a real co-working space in kigali rwanda cool and from like it's kind of like my most favorite place uh, in the cities that we have visited it's very very nice um you know like very diverse people not only tech people a lot of culture um and, and social um, entrepreneurs are there and they want to create a cafe on the roof and also a place for events and art and this is I think something you know that is very very important especially in the context of Rwanda you know they had only 20 years ago um, the genocide and you know you can tell that you know, whatever, when you come from Kampala, take the bus, it's six hours drive to Kigali, and Kampala is full of art and culture and dance, mm -hmm. you know, and theater and all these things. And you don't see as much in Rwanda, I guess, for historical reasons. But there is this group in Kigali, you know, around the, the office that is putting so much energy, you know, to supporting art, to supporting artists, and, you know, to giving them a space where they can... Uh, you know, show their projects and get them exposed. And I think that's really something that I'm happy to support. And that's like my main take today, definitely. Um, I think the crowdfunding campaign only goes until Wednesday or Thursday. So I don't know if it's in time. Okay. But even if it's too late, like definitely check it out. And, you know, like a flight to Kigali is 500 euros or something from Germany. <laughs> you can't just go. It's like cheap. it's super nice. Yeah, Kigali is, it's a, it would change your perception of Africa big time, trust me. Hmm. <laughs> interesting. It's an interesting place to go, definitely, yeah. Cool. And, you know, maybe another project um, that I would like to succeed is um, from our friend uh, Geraldine um, from Berlin. Um, she is running... Um, several things and one project one big project is the gig at the republica like republica is this big you know seven thousand attendees events mm -hmm. um, around culture and, and media in berlin every year and she's running the global um, innovation government uh, governing and this is you know where um around 50 uh, members from from hubs, uh, most from the African continent, come to Berlin and meet and discuss. Um, and she also visited uh, several cities in Africa last year. And she also makes a movie, which is called Made in Africa. Hmm. But like our movie, you know, it's more like a road trip thing, showing what we did. And this mm -hmm. is more professional, um, you know, aiming at a wider audience. And she's also running... Oh, they are running a crowdfunding campaign, which I think is definitely worth our support. So that would be my second pick. Awesome. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so you have uh, two picks. Yeah, that's enough. Okay, good. And do you have a music pick as well? Oh, yeah. I thought about it before the show. Um, you know, like, there was this, uh, during the time when we've been uh, in East Africa... Um, like in the evenings when we've been like partying and clubbing, obviously, with the local people. There mm -hmm. was this great song. Uh, it's called Kona from Mafi Kosola. Mafi Kosolo, I think, mm -hmm. which is a South African um, duo. 
and it's like, like house electric music um, with kind of African drum beats and it's a very interesting mixture you know and it's kind of it shows in a way that we should what I've also heard a lot in, in very different contexts that we should stop you know looking in Africa and, and looking for problems and trying to help and instead actually open our eyes and, and look for things for opportunities that we you know want to invest in and I think this kind of music shows you know how you can combine um, kind of music that's that's uh, coming from the region combined with electronic music coming from the western world and how it creates something new which is great for both sides so that would be my music pick yeah. picks as well so uh my first pick would be an article call, uh, with the title can angular js maintain its dominance <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> um i it's a very link baity kind of title but actually um i i kind of i bookmarked it and after a few days i had a look at it and then i read it all the way through because i really enjoyed the article it was really it's well written. It's um, it's by Brian Rinaldi. It's well written, well researched, and basically he's looking at, you know, how basically Angular JS at some point overtook all the other frameworks, and now since they basically announced they're rewriting it completely, and you'll have to, and all if you if you total if you bet on Angular JS and and in two years the Angular JS um, 2.0 comes out. You have to rewrite all your apps. Like everybody's freaking out and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so this is this is uh, it's very interesting. And basically, he's just asking the question. He's he, he he kind of chronologically he just shows you know what happened, and then he's asking the question. Basically, can will will this now be the downfall of NHS? <laughs> and it, but it's it's a great article. So I, I mm. definitely I definitely will. Or he's basically saying that they're opening up themselves you know to be overtaken again by other people or by other frameworks basically because people are kind of unhappy and losing trust through this kind of move they made which is very interesting so this is one article and then i have another one and basically that is the answer to to um you know angular's move announcement um that they're going to rewrite angular from ember and they they wrote this pull request uh, article. It's a long article, just within a pull request. That's called the Road to Ember 2.0, and they're describing what they're going to do, um, how they're moving to 2.0, and what it all entails, and how they're migrating, and that they're um, migration friendly, and all what what they're going to do is they're just gonna put all the features into, um, they're all going to be 1.x features and the 2.0 is just going to 
cut off the compatibility um, to you know all the all the stuff that gets deprecated um, in the next releases is just going to be all the code that that makes that compatible will be just cut off in 2.0 and that's basically the, how they're going to move to 2.0 and there's um, some very interesting um, points in that article where they basically say that they 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 copied you know what what they they got inspired by angular's ease of use right off the bat and you know they they kind of introduced that into ember and now they're looking at react and how react um is using a virtual dom to um to be uh, uh, very performant and to make the the api easier and they're working kind of that concept into their uh templating and stuff like that it's very interesting and it's kind of uh, the timing is very interesting and in how they formulate things in that article. So I definitely, <laughs> <laughs> definitely uh, recommend that as well. And do I have a third one? Oh yeah, the third one is <clears throat> is an application that is available, I think, for for Android and iPhone, and it's called Headspace, and it's like a guided meditation app. And nice, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, it's. I think they're gaining a lot of traction. the The guy who is kind of the spokesperson for it, he's he's talking on TED conferences and stuff like that. And uh, I just got into it because I read up on meditation at some point, and this app was was recommended, and I installed it. And I'm I'm using it. I'm trying to use it every day. I'm not using it every day, but. I should, because what's very interesting about it is that the approach to meditation is has nothing to do with anything idealistic or romantic. It's very, it's a little bit more scientific, but also not really, but it's just very pragmatic. And it, it gives you, and the cool thing about it is that it, uh, it it's, there is this, um, it's a subscription app. So, you know, if you buy the subscription, it's five, five uh, bucks a month, but there is like this um, uh, 10 minutes a day for 10 days um, guided meditation in there for free that you can just use as long as you want. And um, that's really, it really, it really, really helpful. I find um, it really helps me, for instance, because I have this long commute. It really helps me to deal with this kind of stuff because when I, when I do this uh, kind of guided meditation, which is just it, like I said, it's very pragmatic. He tells you exactly how to, you know, it's not about uh, not thinking, you know, like because this is what people often think. Like if you want to meditate, you have to sit down, you have to, and don't think. And that's just impossible, right? So people are going to say, okay, now I have, I, I, I'm not allowed to think. So, and as soon as there's a thought coming up, then they're like, oh my God, I'm thinking this sucks. And, <laughs> and they're stressing themselves out and they're trying to suppress the thought. And then another one comes up and it just is, it's just pure horror, right? And it just has absolutely nothing to do with that. You know, it's just about letting the, the thoughts can come up and you just let them pass. Uh, pass. It's like you're sitting at the side of a road and cars are passing, right? That's how you have to look at it. Uh, and it really, you know, gives you all this guidance and, and you do that. And when I do it for 10 minutes, it's just like the, the kind of relaxation that I get out of that is just, I don't get it from anything else. Right. You, sh you should combine it with the muse. Do you know the muse? No. So the muse is like a, a kind of 
uh, it measures, you know, your activities in your brain. It gives you a direct feedback to your meditation. It, it kind of okay. directly can tell you if you get unconcentrated. So maybe that's my third pick because I got it and uh, it actually really works. You can train it. <laughs> it's also an app? Uh, it, they have a known app, yeah, but you know you can use it as an input device, really. Okay. So my goal, obviously, is at some point I want to control the lights with my brain mm -hmm. and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it comes with a meditation app, so it's a good fit to your app. I think you can combine the two pretty, pretty well. Cool. It's very interesting. It's actually yeah. fascinating. <laughs> yeah, cool. I gotta check it out. Yeah, so that's my third pick, and uh, my music pick would be a track called The System by Popcorn, which is a, Popcorn is a Jamaican artist and he, he has, he's been very successful in Jamaica for, for uh, I think the last two, three years or something like that. And he then was signed to an American producer called Dre Skull and his productions are really good, very, and they're, they're more like a fusion between dancehall and electronic music and um he, so so he's basically trying to bring that he, he he's he signed also he also signed other jamaican artists and he's trying to uh make real albums with them because what they do normally is that they jump on uh single productions or it's they're called rhythms it's just like a beat produced by some producer and then this producer he has like 10 different artists jumping on the same uh beat and he has 10 different tracks but they're on the same beat and then if an artist gets very successful and they have lots of singles on those different rhythms what they do is they release an album that is just like a compilation of all those different singles and that doesn't make a good album unfortunately so Uh, so Dre Skull is kind of applying the the album, like how you know, like American musicians do albums, to 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 a to a Jamaican artist, and uh, so he released this album now, and it's uh, it's pretty good, and I really like this this track, the system that was produced by Dre Skull. So that's my music pick. Awesome. Yeah, so that's it. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening. You can find all the show notes for this episode on descriptive.audio slash episodes slash five. If you have any feedback or guest requests, hit me up on Twitter at descriptivepod or use the feedback form on the website. Thank you so much for your time, Gregor. It was a pleasure to have you. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you. there so after we were done recording i realized that i totally forgot to ask 
Gregor about his links on the interwebs, how you can reach him. So I'm just going to add this here. You can reach him on Twitter as gr, the number 2m, gr, the number 2m. That's his Twitter handle. So, you know, just uh, contact him there if you want to ask him stuff. And of course, uh, check out the Hoodie website, which you can find at hood.ie. That's H-O-O-D dot I-E. And as you might have noticed, there's no music here. No, I used to play the music picks here at the end of the podcast, but I'm trying something new where I work it into the podcast, as you might have heard. Um, let me know how you like that, you know. Um, I'm doing it, basically I'm doing it to just integrate it into the podcast and also reduce the risk, uh, the problems that I might get if I play whole tracks in the podcast. That might be a little bit uh, not so clever. Uh, yeah, so thanks for listening and talk to you next week. <laughs>